Every kid's Christmas list is a little different, isn't it? From the cute things of remote control cars that can go across the ceiling to the heart cry of, I I want a forever family, I want to be adopted. There's a lot of different things that are on people's hearts and on people's lists. And as we enter into this Christmas season, I know that you have a list of things to do. You have a list of presents that need to be bought. But I want to encourage you today to enter into this season with a recognition of the things that matter. And so I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to give you some practical steps to try out this week as you're navigating this Christmas season. But before we really dive into the message, I want to do a little time hop with you, a little time travel. Some of you guys, this is going to be easy. Some of you guys are going to have to use your imagination. But I know that some of us in the room, we remember what the 1980s was like, right? I, yeah, I got some people, you say, I know you weren't born yet, don't even worry about it. You just pretend to know, all right? Yeah, you guys know who you are. The rest of us, there was once a world where when you wanted something, you couldn't just hop on Amazon and it shows up at your house within one or two days. It was a very different world. And when the entire nation decides they want the same present for their child, it created all kinds of craziness. Some people will remember the Cabbage Patch craze of the 80s. Yeah, yeah, if you went through that time, you remember. I'm going to show you this picture to kind of remind you. There was once a time where both, both boys and girls wanted this Cabbage Patch doll, the computer. Yeah, right there. All right. It was this cute little doll, and it was everywhere. And there was news reports about how, like, in Texas, they opened the doors, and people rushed in to go get these Cabbage Patch dolls, and, like, wrestling broke out between moms. And there was one mom who had her arms around one, and another mom who had her purse strap wrapped around the other mom's neck, trying to strangle it off of her. Like, people went crazy. And there was no camera phones and social media to keep people accountable. Like, whatever happened, happened. And moms and dads, like, they wanted to get that perfect gift for their kids to express their love. And so they went to crazy ends to make it happen. I know my mom was in on it, too. And she claims that she did not harm anyone in acquiring our Cabbage Patch dolls. But I also know that she says she went over to the other coast of Florida, over towards Miami to get it. And what happens in Miami often stays in Miami. But she went through all this trouble of driving hours away to get us these Cabbage Patch dolls. And I'm going to tell you, if I had opened that present without her being present in the room to watch me open it, it might have been the end of my life, right? You know, if you're a parent, that if you go to extremes to get your child the perfect gift, the thing that they really want, when they open that gift, you are going to be peering into their soul to watch as they open it. Like, and they better react, they better be thankful, they better be excited. Like, there should be dancing because you got them that perfect gift. And that, I believe, flows out of like a parent's love of like, I just want them to know how much I think of them, how much I love them. And back in the 80s, you had to go through some crazy extremes to demonstrate that love. But there was just that truth, like, I'm going to be in the room when they open it. Because it really wasn't even about the gift as much as it was that relationship. Like, I want to see them be excited. I want to see them get what they want. I want to see them know how loved they are. And I believe that that's the root behind some of that crazy behavior that would happen. And today, we're going to be talking about presence. 
We're going to be talking about being present with each other and about God's presence in our life because I believe one of the the best teachers that we have of how to love each other is to look at how God loves us. And as we can emulate the way that he interacts with us, with our children, with our friends, and we can put those same qualities on display in our relationships, it's going to teach us to be better fathers, better husbands, better wives, better, better parents, better friends, as we emulate what God has done. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a passage in Exodus 33, which will be the main place that we're going to today, but I want to set it up with some context. And we're going to be looking at, if you don't have any background for what we're talking about, we're going to be looking at the time period where the Hebrew people were, were in slavery in Egypt. And they cried out to God, and God heard the cry of the oppressed, and he began to act on their behalf. And God did miracles in the lives of these people, like straight-up miracles. He sent 10 plagues onto Egypt to convince the Pharaoh to let the Hebrew people go. And personally, when it got to frogs being everywhere, I would have been out. I would have been like, that's enough. Get out of my country. I do not want frogs crawling everywhere around me. Uh, he turned water to blood. There's fire falling from the sky. These different plagues. And, and, and it set up the Hebrew people being encouraged and told to leave Egypt. And I feel like there is a sense in so many of our hearts, that man, if I could just see God do one thing like that in my life, it would eliminate all of the doubt, all of the hesitation that has been in my faith. Uh, When I feel like God wants me to do something and it kind of rubs up against my common senses and says, no, but if I I do that, I won't have enough or, or I won't be respected enough or if I live that way, like I just can't trust God with what the results will be. But if I had a miracle happen, it would give me the courage to live the rest of my life out in just that crazy realm of faith where I trust God for everything. And I want to tell you, time after time, story after story, person after person in Scripture who got a miracle, as well as my experience in almost 20 years of being in ministry, where I see God does a miracle in someone's life, I see this common reaction happen both in Scripture and in practice. The people who get the miracle will fall right back into those same behaviors and attitudes that they had before the miracle. The miracle will not change your faith. Because you want to know what happened with the Hebrew people? God did these incredible miracles and got them out of oppression, and he judged the nation that was enslaving them. But as they got out into the desert and things got hard, the mumbling and the conversations began to turn to things like this. You know, we always, we always had pretty good food in Egypt. You were in slavery, You were crying out and screaming out for God to act, and he acted triumphantly, and he moved you out of that situation. And here you are when things begin to get difficult, you're saying, maybe we can make our way back to slavery? Maybe we can make our way back to Egypt? I've seen God who's delivered people from addictions and problems and healed them in ways that was just undeniable. This was the hand of God on their life. And as they got to a difficult season, and Proverbs says it like this, as as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And they move right back to the thing that God saved them from miraculously. And, And there's so many times I think in our heart, it's like, God, if you would just show up like this, I will trust you. I'm going to tell you, if you can't walk your faith out in the difficult situations, a miracle isn't going to fix it. But walking daily in the presence of God where you hear his voice, where you understand he's at work in lots of little ways, that's what's going to fix it. 
Having a relationship where you know that you're walking closely with him, not just on Sunday morning, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday night. Walking in his ways. That's what's going to enable you to have the, the faith to take those big steps. Because in Israel, the miracles weren't enough to hold on in the difficult times. In the New Testament with Peter, it wasn't enough. In today's practice in the church, the miracles won't be enough evidence. And, you know, to the next thing that we're going to use kind of setting this up in Exodus 12, God blessed, he, he answered the, the prayer that Americans love to pray. He blessed the Hebrew people as they were leaving Egypt financially. It was like, God, you're probably familiar with this prayer. God, if you would just give me millions of dollars, I would be so generous with what you gave me. I mean, I know I've never really given before, but I would start giving if you gave me a million dollars. Like, like that, that's, that's a prayer that's common in our culture today. As Israel was leaving Egypt, chapter 12 says that God gave the Israelites such favor in the Egyptians' eyes. The Egyptians wanted them to leave so much. He said, just ask them for gold and silver, and they're going to give it to you because they want you to leave so much. And God blessed them tremendously financially. But as they got out into, into the desert and as things got difficult and they're like, Moses, where are you? In Exodus 32, they took that silver and gold that God blessed them with and you know what they did to it? They turned it into idols. They took, they took something that God said, I want you to have this, ask for this, take it, bring it with you, be blessed. And they took it and they put it in the position of God in their life. Which is also what so many people do with money. And I, I want to remind you, money is not evil. That is not what Scripture says. The love of money is evil. When we begin to take currency and put it in the place of God in our life, when we put our trust in it, that's when it becomes a problem. And that, that sense of, if I just had more money, I'd finally be generous. I'd finally do the things that God has asked me to do with money. I would finally be the person that I'm meant to be if God just gave me more money. Money will magnify who you are. And if you're stingy now, you'll be stingy then. If you're obsessed with money now, money is only going to make you more obsessed with it then. It's going to magnify the traits that are already there. And it's not going to solve the issues of your faith. It's not going to solve the issues of your marriage. It's not going to solve the issues of your life. Money will not fix the situation. And time after time, we've seen situations like this. And I, I like to pick on cats, so I'll tell this story. And I know some of you guys love cats, but you also know how I already feel about them. Um, pastor named Francis, Francis Chan tells this story about his relationship with his daughter. And Francis Chan is an author, speaker, pastor that has my respect. He's, he's a great guy. He comes from a very difficult upbringing. He, he was from an abusive home. He he'd tell a story of how his father would take him out into the backyard and belt him to the tree and just mercilessly beat him. He came from a very difficult upbringing. So when he got to have his own family and God entrusted him with his own children, he was like, I am going to live in this moment like with both arms fully wrapped around my family. I'm going to pour all the love that I missed out on from that upbringing and it's going to be here. And so like his relationship with his daughter was tight. Like they were close together. And so when he would get home from work for the day, you know, as soon as that front, the sound of that front door opened, he would just hear like moving through the house, the little running into the big daddy hug. And, and it was the highlight of the day. Like when, when you come from a situation where you don't have that as a child, when you get to be an adult and you have it in your house, like you drink it up. And so just every day, and, and he decided that, you know, one of the things that she really wanted was a cat. 
And he decided, I'm, I'm going to give her what she wants, and I'm going to give her the cat. And he brought the cat home, and she just, she lit up, and she was so excited, and she hugged the cat. He wasn't sure if the cat could walk, because she just carried it everywhere all the time. And she was over the moon, loving dad about the cat. And then the next day, he went to work, and he opened the door, and the sound of the door opening opened, but there was no other sound. And he's like, well, maybe they're out somewhere. And he walked and he looked in the room and she's just sitting there on the bed with her cat. And she's like, hi, dad. She's like, and he's like, hi, I'm home. And she's like, okay. And he began to realize what I already know, that cat is evil. <laughs> that cat has stolen my child. And maybe it was a one-off. And so, you know, the next day, sound of the door opening, steps inside, silence. Next day, opens the door, steps inside, silence. She is just stuck inside this cat's world. But this cat, not like all cats, just most cats, showed its colors, and it began scratching and biting her. And as a good dad, he had to make the difficult decision for the family. We can't have an aggressive cat in the home. This cat's going to have to go. And it was a difficult situation, but it was a choice that she understood, it was a decision that she understood because she had, you know, the blood to prove it. And when the cat was gone, the thing that he wanted her to have when he got home and he opened the door, all of a sudden, the relationship was back the way it was before. Now listen, I believe that there are so many blessings that God wants to give you. I think there's cries on your heart that they're there for a reason, but the timing might be not yet because just like Francis Chan's daughter, once you have it, you might forget about who gives you the blessing. You might, you might be so preoccupied for caring for that blessing that you forget about the other callings that you have. And there's times where God gives us something, and we've seen this, where God will give someone wealth and it destroys a marriage. There's times where there's an opportunity and it's like, I want this opportunity so bad, and God says, no, not right now. And in the case of Israel, God showed, look at my power. I can bring down a nation that has enslaved you. And that miracle wasn't enough to just stick in their mind and say, you know, we can trust God through the desert even when the food isn't what we want. They began to say, no, what, what if we can make our way back to Egypt? God blessed them with silver and gold, and they formed it into idols and began to worship them. And so often, God will give us something and we'll misuse it. And then when he takes it away, it might be hard that he took it away, but it brings our heart back to the healthy place that it needs to be. And this is what I want you to recognize. And this is what Moses recognized. Because in Exodus 33, Moses is in a conversation with God, and he asks God for something. And Moses has seen tremendous power from God, defeating what looked like the most powerful nation in the world at the time. He had seen power. He had seen blessing where silver and gold were just given to the people like crazy. He had, Moses had seen God do tremendous things, but look at what Moses asks of God in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? 
For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people of the earth. Moses could see beyond the blessings that God had given them in the days and the years past, that more valuable than any blessing, anything, God could have been, or Moses could have been like, God, you know, you called us to go to the promised land, just give us tanks. Give us tanks and we'll be fine. Give us chariots, give us horses, give us resources to win the fight. He could have asked for that. Give us more wealth so that when we get there, we can just pay the people off and they'll leave. He could have tried to solve the situation of what was ahead in so many different ways, but he had the wisdom to say the most important thing that we need as a people, the thing that sets us apart from all other people of the earth is your presence. And there's wisdom in that because in God's presence, there is protection. In God's presence, there is healing that is only found in his presence. There is provision that is only found in his presence. There is power that is only found in his presence. And all of those blessings will come along with him. But too often we seek after the blessings instead of the person. God, if you just show up in my Chase account. God, if this stock would just do what I think it's going to do. If Bitcoin would just go. God has offered you not just blessings, but his presence in your life. The prayer that Moses prayed was answered, and it was answered time and time again, and it was answered through the Old Testament and into the New Testament in a way that was more powerful than what Moses could have dreamed of. In, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he, he, he shares in, in verse 7 that the virgin will conceive and give birth. And he shall be called Emmanuel. In the Old Testament, it foretold it. And then into Matthew, it, it recites that same passage again in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and verse 23. And it says, all the things around Christ's birth, all of these things took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God. God's plan God's desire for his people is not been that they will just be known by the blessings and the power and the authority that they have in the earth, but they will be known because the presence of God dwells among them. And the gift, the meaning, the message of Christmas is the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his son to make his dwelling place among them. That Emmanuel, God with us, is now a part of your life. It's offered to you. And with him comes so many blessings. But this is, this is the tension that I think so many people live in. They have a desire to be blessed. But they have not gotten to personally know this heavenly father who offers his presence in their life. And so there's this feeling of a disconnect that often happens. And you felt something similar to it, unfortunately. Uh, so many of us have. Where you, I think that there's this feeling of it's like, I want to ask God to act on this, but I know that like things aren't right between me and him. And so it feels weird. It's sort of like if you had a parent, a mom or a dad or a family member that should have been close to you that, that wasn't. And the relationship is all kinds of broken, but maybe on your birthday, they, as a kid, they'd send you a $50 bill or $100 or something. And it's like, it's a great gift. It's a great present. 
but it feels weird to receive it because your presence is so far off from me. Like you're not a part of my life. And so to receive this from you, it feels weird. It feels like accepting an engagement ring from a stranger. It's like the ring looks nice, but I don't know you. And so many people's prayer life, it's like we're afraid to ask anything of God because we've just never had God as part of our life. We know that he's there. We believe that he's there. We know that he acts. We know that he's done things through history. But because we haven't known him, we're afraid to ask, God, will you heal? God, will you work? God, will you open up the doors? Because the the idea of him doing something feels foreign and it feels disconnected. And that's one way that we often feel. The other side of that is when we begin to live our life in the presence of God, where we recognize, God, my worship of you is not just about Sunday morning, but it flows into every other day of the week. And, and God, as I was reading scripture, you were whispering to me about the fact that you have a plan and a purpose and a season for everything that moves through my life. And, and you've been whispering to me about that. And, and I've, been, I've been working and I haven't been lazy because scripture talks about lazy. Being lazy will lead towards being, being in poverty. And so I've been working. I've been doing what I've called to be doing. And, and so I'm going to ask because you've already been whispering to me that you want to act. And it's not surprising when God begins to show up when you've already been hearing his leading time after time moving you towards a destination. But, the, but Christmas and our relationship with God and the way that we live our life, it needs to be lived in this sense of I am living and moving and breathing in the presence of God. I'm not looking for that moment where he shows up in a powerful way and he does a miracle like he did in Egypt. I'm not depending and waiting on that to start living for God. I'm not waiting and depending on God when you show up in my finances, then I'll start living and depending on God. The, the blessings actually come after that. When you begin to live and breathe and move and recognize the the most important thing that I can do today is spend time with my heavenly father. Because once I get that done and I'm moving in his presence, all the other things that I've been seeking after, they get added into my life. The things that I'm stressed about, the things that I've been anxious about, those will fall into line when my relationship with God is moving correctly. I don't need the blessing first. I recognize that the blessings will come in the presence of God later. And so in our relationship with God, we, begin, we have to begin to get that right, that I'm not just waiting for God's action. I'm seeking to walk in his presence daily because that is what Emmanuel was sent for. Hebrews 13.5 says it this way. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Time and time again, the promise that we can build our life on in Scripture is that God is going to always be with you. And if He is with you, He is going to provide for you. He is going to see you through the situation. And we look at the way that he loves us, when we look at the way that he calls us to live, and we begin to say, okay, if this is how God wants to be with me, how can I look and make the relationships around me more God-honoring by, by, by loving other people the way that God has loved me? And, and time and time again, we see the, the promise and the push is to move towards live in the presence of God. And so I want to give you guys just a couple practical thoughts about how we can 
use our time and our presence with other people to better let them know that they are loved and they are loved deeply by us and by God. And this can be lived out in your marriage, in your relationship, in your friendship, in the way that you've been parenting. And I believe that these are very practical for the holidays. And the, the first one is this, make a task take longer by completing it with someone else. And if you're like me, you are annoyed by that. Because specifically, just even with decorating the house for Christmas, I see point A and I see the finish line of point B, it being done, and I am ready to be done decorating at the point in which we're starting. <laughs> like, like, let's go. Like, let's do this quickly. And having a five-year-old help you put decorations up does not expedite the process. I'm going to promise you that. But I also will promise you that those kids will hold on to the memories of decorating much more than they're going to hold on to the memory of being done decorating. And it's going to be something that they either treasure or it's going to be something that is trauma for them. And so in this holiday season, and this, this even goes back to the whole Hebrew method of education, which was mentorship, which was making something take longer by teaching someone else to do it, because that instills into them that they are valuable enough for you to slow down and spend time with. And so this holiday season, as you're doing things, whether it's working on the house, decorating the house, making a meal, slow it down and teach and be with someone else as you do it. And just recognize this doesn't have to be done quickly. And the child or the spouse or the friend that you spend that time with, they're going to feel loved. The second thing that I want to push on is eliminate distractions. I want you to give great presents this holiday season, but I want you to be present with the people that you love. And to do that, you need to eliminate the distractions. It communicates something when you say, hold on, before we start, I want to put my phone in the other room so that I'm just with you. And that means something when someone does that. Your kids pick up on it quickly when you say, oh, I just want to get rid of this so that you have all of me. I'm going to, I mean, this is just a weird question. I, you maybe never thought to, to do this, but I think this is worth a try. When's the last time that you ate a meal at a restaurant and you guys just didn't have a phone at the table? Like, leave it in the car. Tell the babysitter, if it's an emergency, call Chili's and they'll, they'll come find my table. But otherwise, we're going to be unreachable so that my spouse just knows I'm here with them. You're going to have to relearn how to hold eye contact and talk and conversate, and that'll be okay. You'll actually enjoy it once it happens. You might have to, at your house, to have some family time, unplug the router so that nobody has any connectivity so that you can just be together. Steal the cables off of the television set. Eliminate the distractions. Take the steps that you need to so that your kids will recognize, and even if it's painful for them, that they will know that you wanted to spend time with them. Communicate to them that you want to be with them by eliminating distractions in whatever form it takes because they matter to you. The third thing, make these moments mean more by choosing to do less. I know that there are endless things that you can do and so many of them are great things, but I also know the tension of feeling like, okay, we are going to do this craft together, but we have 20 minutes before I have to be gone and on to the next thing. And my mind is only half there because I'm thinking about the schedule of things that are coming up and all the other things that we have to get done and really what you need to do so that you can communicate to the people that you love, that you are going to just be with them, is cut some things from the schedule. 
Communicate to them that you want time with them more than you want to be able to go to that party, that thing, that event. And I'm telling you, it's going to communicate your love to do less with them. And band, to do less things in the schedule so you can spend that time with them. Stop rushing. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to close this thing out. Stop rushing. It makes the current moment meaningless when we're just rushing through it. And the people that love you, they can sense when you're eager to get on to the next thing. Use your presence to communicate the love of God. Use your, and last week when I was preaching, this passage kind of popped up towards the end, just from my memory as we were going. And I was like, man, I want to give them a little bit more of that. Because as I was reading 1 Peter uh, with our guys' Bible study a couple of months back, this passage, it just really stuck in my heart. And it's really interesting to me because as Peter was writing this letter to the church and to the leaders, he opened up with, with this phrase that stuck in my heart, and then as he was closing the letter, he brought it out again. And, and when there's book ends like that in a writing, it should just call some of your attention. It, it, like you should focus on, like, why are they saying this twice? Be- because it matters, and because Peter wanted to instill in the church the importance of this. And he begins the passage, and it's a little bit wordy, but he's just trying to say, for those of you guys who've made decisions to follow Christ, for those of you guys who are saved, and so 1 Peter, verse 22, he says, now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, you've responded to the invitation of the gospel, you become a Christian, so that you have sincere love for each other. This is what stuck out to me. The way that he said this, love one another deeply, from the heart. You're instructed, you could even say commanded, not just to love one another, but it was given that modifier of love one another deeply. And he opens up his letter that way. And then as he's closing it in 1 Peter 4, 8, he he summarizes it and he says, and above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. You are in a debt to the people that God has given you in this season to love them deeply. You owe them a deep love that is rooted in the love from God. And that deep love, I believe one of the most powerful ways that it is communicated is not by purchasing the best gift, by spending that significant time where they know that they are more valuable than anything else in the world. And I want you to give presents. I want you to give great presents. But even more than that, use your presence, use your time to communicate this deep love that you have for them, that you felt for them, but maybe you haven't communicated enough lately. Spend that time with them and honor God in those relationships. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to communicate a deep love. And we are thankful that we are given the gift of your presence, that we don't have to just depend on one moment where where we saw you show up one way, but we get to day after day just walk and live in your presence. And may your presence inspire us, encourage us, and challenge us to value people to love people, to communicate this great love that you've given. Help us to love each other deeply. In Jesus' name.